This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I have been, I don't I don't really bite my nails, but I, I've been very tense and, and curious about what's happening in this one particular aspect of your life, and I'm sure some of our listeners are concerned about this as well. What's new with Francis? It's Francis. Oh, Francis. Um, Well, it's been very cold lately because it's January, which is our coldest month in in, um, Texas. And I have um, I don't I I don't do well in the cold. My my toes go complete like they they lose their blood and they just like go white and it's not fun. And so I um, lately have been taken to not going out to find Francis and put her up at night, I'll just open the front door and she walks herself in and I walk her through the house and walk her through to the back door. And the first time I did it, cause she hadn't done it in a long time, she was like, not really feeling it. And lately she's come and she started knocking on the door, like, let me in. Like she just expects that this is how she goes to bed now. And, and, and that leads me to Francis drama because um, the other night well, it was a little bit back ago. Um, well, I had told before the story about how Frances just kind of disappeared one night and mm-hmm. I was certain she was dead. And then she turned up the next morning. And then not long after that, I went out and I, I she wasn't anywhere near here and I could hear her far, far away. And it took I had to go tromping through the dark to find her. She's over by like a quarter mile away by the neighbor's barn. I had no idea how she got there. And so that's why I've taken putting her up at night, because I'm so worried that some, she's going to go wandering off and something's going to get her, but she's been really good about it. And so, um, the other uh, couple, I say the other night, but it, it was a little bit ago. Um, I, you know, she came knocking at the door and I opened it and let her out and, you know, about eight 30, she was in the backyard and, um, you know, I thought she was up for the night and then I almost didn't go out that night. I almost didn't, but, um, I had to go check on the goats for something. So I bundled up and went out and there was no Francis. And I'm like, what is going on? And I hear her from very, very far away. And I'm like, okay, well, I know where to look for her now. So I went all the way back, same place that I'd gone before. And this time, instead of finding her by the barn, she was like on this little island in sort of not really in the middle of the lake. Like it's hard, hard in the pond, but it, like you could still get to it from land. But I don't think she went that route. I don't really know how she got there because for me to get to it the short way, I had to kind of go down a small gully and cross some moving water and then up and go get her. Not super steep or anything, but definitely not something she could do on her own. And so I was like, I just don't understand. She's just like wandering around in the middle of this island with her neck all strained up going quack, 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 quack. I'm like, what the, what is going on? And so, you know, I finally convinced her that I'm me because, you know, they don't see, she doesn't see in the dark and she, I'm just bundled up. I'm, I'm just a monster, you know? And so I got to get her to settle down, not run off because I want to go chasing her into the water or something. I finally get her to come to me and she starts quacking 
and I hear far off in the distance another goose. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> so this this is what it is. She's hearing another goose, and and she's looking for this other goose. But based on where the sound's coming from, there's, I mean, there's no way she's going to be able to get to this goose. The, the terrain and the distance and between roads and, and houses, there's no way she's going to get to this goose. But she can still hear it. And I'm like, oh, man. Um, I'm hoping, maybe, fingers crossed, there's a wild goose who's just passing through. <laughs> and, and, and that's that. But Operation Find Francis a Friend has kind of taken a serious turn because I just, I don't want her to end up like out on the county road or something trying to find this other goose. And so I I'm trying to get babies again, but you know, geese don't lay year round. So, um, you know, I keep calling all the feed stores and I, 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 a few weeks back I had, I had gone online to order from maybe one of the online hatcheries and there's one in Texas and, and my, what makes me nervous about doing the online ordering, even though I've done it before for chicks is lately the post office has kind of been a little wonky and like things get delayed and, and you can only have them in the mail for so long. Like as soon as they hatch, they can survive like two, three days just on the yolk that they've absorbed um, from inside the shell. But after that, they're going to die. And and it's the weather's a little weird. And so I I found this place that like I could get them maybe by February, March. And I was just like on the fence about it. And then when I went back, they're completely sold out. So I was like, well, great. So but then this thing happened with friends with, with her disappearing. I was like, I got to do this no matter what. So I'm still going to keep looking locally. But in the meantime, I placed an order with a further away hatchery. They're not going to get here till April. So, oh, I don't know, but I got to find her some friends because I'm really worried that one day she's just going to be gone and there's nothing I can do about it. So who knew that you could get mail order geese or chickens or turkeys. So you can ship live baby animals through the mail, the U S postal service. They're the only ones who will do it. So, um, yeah, you, it's, it's kind of interesting that I guess it started in the, I don't know, back in the homesteading days and they've just <laughs> <laughs> kept doing it and uh i'm grateful for that and not surprisingly after you hear that intro and, and that chit chat you, you you will not be surprised to learn that today's topic involves animals in fiction <laughs> and the psychology <laughs> involved in 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 using animals as a, as a part of your fiction so let's cue the music Okay, so um, this topic comes courtesy of the Taylor Stevens fan club group on Facebook. Um, somebody posted a link to um, an a blog post or an article from Crime Reads that was titled, Every Mystery Writer Knows You Can Kill Anyone But the Dog. And that turned into a discussion because... Um, Gary Henderson, who is a listener of this show. Sorry, Gary, I named you without your permission. I hope you're okay with that. Um, he made this comment. He's like, oh, you can kill the dog, but the Amazon reviews are going to be brutal. And you wouldn't even be able to read the Goodreads reviews without literally bursting into flames. And then somebody else commented about how they had killed the dog in John Wick and it ruined the movie for them. And I was thinking, and then I, I commented on it about how I hated that movie True Grit because they killed the horse. And even though I know, A, no horse was actually killed and 
be that's what you got to do, like to not have killed the horse. If it had been a real life thing, it would have been cruel. I just still I, I couldn't I couldn't handle it. And but then I was like, you know, at the same time, Lee Child, who's like one of the all time best selling thriller writers in forever. One of his books, he kills a dog in his opening scene. Like, he violated this rule. But then I was like, okay, well, the thing about that is when the scene opens, the dog is already dead. And discovering the dog is what makes the character angry. And that becomes a thing, you know, that was a big, you know, they let that dog die is in the character's mind. And so even though it disturbed me, it really, really disturbed me. Because it happened right away. I didn't see it happen. It wasn't enough to make me put down the book. If it had happened later in the book and it had actually been shown in real time, I probably would have just stopped reading. So in response to that, um, somebody had asked, is it... Why is this that we're like that? Are, are we as a species, have we grown so indifferent to the death of other humans that we can shrug that off and then, but, but we don't feel that way about animals? And that's what really got me thinking, you know, why in fiction can we have, I mean, just horrific, horrific um brutality against humans and and we read that uh, some of us are a little more squeamish over it than others but for the most part people are more likely to get mad at you as an author for saying a bad word in your writing than brutalizing human beings graphically in your writing what's up with that like that part i don't understand but the the aspect of the animals, I thought, really is an interesting look into human psychology. And so, you know, it's hard for me to write, I don't want to say grammatically, but like articulately typing on two thumbs on a little tiny screen. But my answer in response to that question of have we become so indifferent to the death of a another human that we can shrug it off is I, I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think that we value the lives of animals more than we value the lives of humans. It's we're dealing with fiction, first of all. Um, if, but, but people are very, very protective of animals and there, there are people who uh, relate to and appreciate animals more than they do people like who'd rather be friends with animals than people because sometimes people can be really crappy to other people as for the most part animals are not crappy to people right um so the way that i where i come from on it is that i think that the reason why you can kill a person in a book but god so help you if you kill the dog is because it's sort of a combination of anthropomorphizing where we uh, project human attributes onto animals, sometimes 
appropriately, I think, and sometimes not. Um, so, but we tend to do that more so with animals that are domesticated, that we relate to in our um, everyday lives, and that also that are cute. So you could probably kill a rat in your book and and not have people, except for people who really, really like rats, and they do exist. Um, and rats are awesome. They're smart, and they're just not cute and cuddly in the way that most people um, think of rats, especially the house rats or whatever. And so you're going to have a much smaller percentage of the population who will be angry over killing a rat than killing a puppy, right? Um, so part of that anger or that um, uh, emotion, emotional component is going to be based on the anthropomorphizing where we, we, um, we are more attached to the domestic, domesticated animals and animals that um, we think are cute and cuddly and that we love, right? So even using the same kind of animal like um, a, a wolf, you're going to have a completely different reaction in um, reader response based on what role that wolf plays in the character. If it's a wild wolf, um, that the reader's going to react very differently to a wild wolf getting killed than a domesticated wolf that has been integrated into uh, the human aspect of the story. But um, that would not be the same for like a wild horse versus a domesticated horse because we see horses more us, like more like human and, and we relate to them and, and love them more than we do wolves. And that's generally speaking, somebody who really, really loves a wolf regardless is, is this is not going to apply to them, but just, you know, from it, from a general thing. So like me personally, I really, I experience like a, a physical revulsion, like the nausea, the disgust, the, the, the just physical reactions to any form of torture, bullying, sadism, any, I, I cannot, I refuse to, it, it, it just, I cannot watch, for example, psychological thrillers or um, stories where the bad guy uh, enjoys tormenting his victims, either psychologically or physically. If there's torture involved, I'm out. Uh, especially torture where the it's part of the psychological profile of the bad person. I'm out. I just I can't. I can't. It it hurts too bad. It hurts my head. It hurts my heart. It hurts my body. Um, I feel it. I feel such overwhelming empathy for the suffering of the person being tortured that it is. Why would I torture myself by by experiencing that for so-called quote-unquote entertainment? I just I just can't. So for for any kind of of that I I'm out, but I will feel it so much more when it's done to the helpless. And so if it's animals or humans, it's the helplessness of it um, that gets me. And then that's even more exasperated if the, the thing, the, the animal or the person that's being bullied or tortured is has some kind of cognitive defect where they don't understand what's happening. So like 
babies, for example. It's not like they have a cognitive defect, but they're not cognitively able to process the bad things that are happening to them. Lower IQ adults, children, and animals. They don't understand what's why this person is being cruel to them, right? So that I'm going to feel the strongest emotional reaction, the strongest repulsion when it's done to the helpless and those who don't understand. So um, while watching a full-bodied man get hurt is going to upset me, it's going to accept, upset me less than if somebody were, were to attack a disabled person because that disabled person cannot defend themselves. They're helpless, right? So it's a sliding scale. So I think that for me, I have my own sliding scale. I think the sliding scale, this horror, this revulsion of power against the powerless, pain against those who can't protect themselves or those who don't understand, it's going to vary from person to person. And I think we're all going to have our own sliding scale and we're probably going to have like, there's probably like a scale where you've got psychopaths on one end who have no empathy whatsoever and, and aren't affected by it, maybe enjoy it, all the way to the other end where you have empaths who, who can't, who, who feel it for themselves as it's happening to someone else. But I think that on that sliding scale and the variance of those scales that we all carry, there's enough similarities that it, it triggers sort of a, um, I guess the bell curve, right? And because it triggers in so many of us, the same things create that trigger. I suspect, and, and I'm not an academic, but I suspect that there's some sort of evolutionary component in it that points us to protect the helpless, maybe in some way. And because we see animals in particular as innocent, as not having deserved those horrible things, dogs especially, because dogs, all they do is want to love you. But I don't think anybody would complain if Cujo got killed. So it's not all dogs. It's the dogs that we, um, that we connect to, the ones that love us, the ones that protect us, the ones that just want to give us happiness, to see a creature like that suffer or to be killed, it's, it's horrific to us because we, we, we are empathizing, we are connecting with that animal. Um, I think that people would feel just as strongly, maybe even more so, if it was a human baby. So it's not that we disregard human life. It's that adults are capable of rational thought. They're capable of processing and they're often capable of defending themselves or retaliating or acting in some way that they can keep the bad thing from happening. Not always, obviously. But I think all of that subconsciously is going on without us even being aware of it and and when we read something in fiction that triggers one of that, it's almost like an instinctive uh, evolutionary, just like down at the base of our animal brains that goes, absolutely not, this is not okay. And then it's no longer entertaining. There are lots of other things that are not okay in real life that if we saw them in real life, we absolutely would not be okay with them, but we go, okay, it's entertainment 
and were able to make that separation because they don't dive as far deep down in that instinctive, I this has got to stop, I've got to do something to make it stop, right? So that's my take on it. And that's why um, I know every author has their own line in the sand that they will not cross. They will not, like for me, I don't believe in gratuitous violence. My my books are very violent, but I don't believe in in making the violence part of the entertainment. And um, I will never involve children. I just absolutely refuse to. And I will never involve animals. Can't. And that's because those are my lines in sand. Other other authors have different lines in the sand. But I think it it all like some authors will never have swearing in their books, you know, and they or they won't ever have any um, graphic violence. Um, and and that's that's fine, but I think there's a line in the sand that very very few authors will cross, and that has to do with small children and uh, animals that we love, like domesticated or dogs, cats, um, whatever. Um, and and that if you're going to the authors that do end up killing uh, those types of animals in their books, um, there's a reason for it. Like you don't feel mostly occasionally rarely there will be someone who crosses that line but mostly you're not going to feel bad about it because you're not anthropomorphizing you see it all the animal almost as an enemy or you don't even see it as something that you have affection for but uh i i maybe in horror maybe in horror it goes that the other way but i i just can't even ever imagining an author killing a baby in their book and ever surviving to write a second one. Like, but <laughs> I, I think you could do it with a, a dog and, and get away with it better than you could do with getting, doing a baby. You're done. That's it. No one's ever going to trust you, ever going to read another thing that you write, ever, ever. And you don't even have to go so far as for it to be a death, even abusing or, or any kind of, you know, thing that, that makes you, you doubt the author. It, it, you're done. You're done. So anyway, that's my take on it, this, the psychology behind why it is um, and, and why it seems to be rather universal. One of the things I've seen a few times is uh, the kidnapping of a child and the threat of torture to use as a device to just really amp up the tension. And I, I find as a reader, when that happens, I am horrified and I can't I can't just shut the book because I have to make sure that it doesn't happen. No, I, and, I, I can't. There was a time when um, I was selling, uh, I was buying, back before I started writing, I would, I would buy books on eBay and sometimes read them before I resold them. And I remember John Sanford was one of the um, authors that I had read several of his books. And so if I ever came across any of his books, I would try and read them before reselling them. And uh, there was one that the plot revolved around the kidnapped child, and I, I couldn't do it. I was like, nope, shut the book, done. Mm-hmm. Just, I have no idea how that story ended. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going in. <laughs> um, but I, but obviously, that did not affect his career. It or certainly his didn't kill his career. I think we can nope. say that. Yes. Yeah. The other, the other thing was just the number of times I've seen dogs used as attack weapons that are killed by you know, the, the Navy, the retired Navy SEAL, um, who's just unstoppable. And, you know, he, he, there's, it's not like graphically killing the dogs, but they're obviously killing the dogs to get out of a situation. And for some reason or other, we don't care about that because the dogs are attacking. They're the enemy. Yeah. uh, Yeah. 
Yeah, I think we we very much separate in our minds um, the uh, the, for lack of a better word, military the military or police side of dogs and the mm-hmm. pet side of dogs. But um, yeah, that's interesting. That I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't do that either. Um, but I, I don't I don't know. Like I I don't know that it would make me stop reading the book. But I would be like seriously questioning the, the author's yeah. morals. And I have to I say, I, I didn't even notice it when it happened. It's it's just like okay, you know, these twenty seven people are shooting at him. The dogs are attacking him. This is happening. That's happening. And you know, somehow or other, he he gets out of it. And, and at least for me as a reader, I'm just okay. How does he get out of this? And he gets out of it. And I move on. I don't think about it because. I didn't see the dog being petted by the the trainer um, two days ago, or you know, yeah, it's uh, an anthrop- cur- an curling anthrop- up on the floor in front of the fireplace. Anthropomorphizing, it's just an attack vehicle. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't. It, that dog did not get uh, human attributes uh, mm-hmm. or caringness put put onto it. That's the other thing I was thinking of is sharks and porpoises. Like we couldn't imagine killing a porpoise. But it's it's easy to sit and watch a, a a movie from the 70s or 80s, whenever it was, where the whole point of the movie is to kill this shark. Right. But make a movie about a murderous dolphin and see how that works. Yeah, it it won't <laughs> it, it won't it won't go well <laughs> unless it's I, a comedy. I, if that if the yeah, unless it's comedy. Um, and that's probably because we see dolphins as being intelligent and human-like and mm-hmm. uh, cute, and sharks are scary. But here's a fun one, is orcas, right? Orcas are the apex predators of the ocean. They're just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, as sharks. They're far more intelligent than sharks, but we don't have that same repulsion towards them as we do sh- as sharks. Why? Because they're cute. <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> all right and with that uh we have reached the end of this episode of the taylor stevens show we thank you guys very much for listening and we will be back in your ear again next tuesday <laughs>